You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. Thank you so much. Your Bibles, please, this morning, Genesis 25. Love that song. Praise the Lord for that. We sang that in our, in our youth department this morning. It's in one of our songbooks there. I'm looking forward to this Tuesday night for our official Thanksgiving service there. And we're going to be doing some, some singing of some new songs. And we may add that one to the list. I love that song. <clears throat> our annual Thanksgiving quiz is coming up in two days on this Thanksgiving service. And uh, have a little video to show. It'll be a very special service. Looking forward to that. And then the pie is always the main thing that people come for. So I don't know, but uh, hopefully you come for the service too, but we'll have the pie, it'll be good. And uh, I certainly love this time of year. I want to preach a message uh, with a very, uh, with a title that's very Thanksgiving-y. Is that a word? Uh, can I make that a word? And, uh, and it's kind of a weird title, but if you know the Bible and you know the passage we're in, it'll make a little bit of sense to you until we get in. I want to preach this morning on the value of a bowl of soup. The value of a bowl of soup. Uh, it really depends upon who's making the soup, what the ingredients to the soup are, okay? But, uh, but that's not what we're talking about this morning. And I uh, hope that you've had a, a good week. I hope that you have a safe week this week. And um, my wife and I are, will be here Tuesday, and then we're headed out of town after the service Tuesday night. We're going to be with, our, with my in-laws, her, her family in Napa for Thanksgiving, and uh, I, wherever you are, I hope that you'll pray for you, be safe, and have a good time, and uh, eat some dressing in my honor, if you do, please, and uh, that'd be great. Not turkey, no one loves that stuff, but, uh, uh, but uh, how many turkey people do we have? You like turkey? Wow, I am shocked by this. Did we get that online? Because I think this is illegal. We should get our police officers in here. How many of you are ham people? You'd rather have the ham? Some of you raise your hand for both. Now, I don't know about you people. You need to pick a side, all right? Pick a side. It's important. But uh, no, I, uh, I'll, I'll eat like a turkey sandwich or something smothered in other things, but turkey's definitely not my favorite. But enjoy your week and uh, want to preach this morning a message in a roundabout way that will deal with Thanksgiving. You'll see there in a little bit. Genesis chapter number 25. <clears throat> Look down, if you'll please, at verse number 24. And when her days, this is speaking of Rebecca who, of course, Abraham in the Bible, famous character, had a son named Isaac. Isaac married Rebekah. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Now, they didn't have the ultrasound back in the day. It was kind of like, you're putting on a lot of weight for this pregnancy, aren't you? And then when you're having it, it's, oh, it's twins. And so there was twins. And the first came out red all over, like a hairy garment, our babies were bald till they were like two. So this would not have been our children here. But, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel. And his name was called Jacob. <clears throat> and Isaac, <clears throat> excuse me, was three score years old when she bared them. Three score, a score is 20. So he was 60 years old when she bared them. And the boys grew. And Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. And Joseph, uh, Jacob was a plain or a peaceful man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau. So that's not a good statement right there, folks, okay? It shows a little favoritism in the Bible. 
And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. That's kind of a very selfish reason to love your son. I love you because you make delicious food for me. And uh, that's why I love some of our church members. Anyway, but uh, because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So, I mean, like, they, they didn't have, you know, the, the books that we have, the self-help books and all that, to say, hey, don't favor one above the other, but they did. And, uh, and, and Jacob, verse 29, sod potted. He made some soup. And Esau came from the field, and he was faint. Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. I'll explain that in a minute. Jacob said, sell me this day thy birthright. So he's saying there, give me something for this soup, and I'll give it to you. And Esau said, behold, I am at the point to die. What profit shall this birthright do to me? Jacob said, swear to me this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink, and rose up and went his way. Thus, here's the important part here, thus Esau despised his birthright. God had told Isaac, the father of these two men, and Abraham, uh, but uh, Isaac, that he had told that the, the older would serve the younger. I'm sure Rebekah told Jacob about this. They probably knew this. Instead of waiting on God, they see an opportunity here. Jacob sees an opportunity, never one to pass up an opportunity to get one over on his brother, decides, you know what, I'm not going to wait for God to come through on his promise. I'll just do it my way. And by the way, that's always a bad idea. God could have done it the right way. God could have done it a better way. And so let's just take a side note message from this that let God be God and let him do things that he has promised to you in his own way. Amen to that. That's good, that's good stuff right there from that passage. But that's a whole other message, okay? But I want you to look at some things worthy of note in here before we pray. Look at verse 29 and 30 again. Jacob, so he's making this soup, sod pottage, sod making pottage, the soup there. Uh, we don't call soup pottage anymore, but that's kind of what it is. And so probably a stew had some meat in it. And Esau came from the field. Hey, he was out hunting. He was faint. And, uh, and, and Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I'm faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. Faint means he's weary. He's, hung, he's, he's weary with hunger and thirst. It's been a long day for him. He's tired, physically exhausted. We make bad decisions when we're physically weary, when we're hungry, thirsty. That's not a right time to make some decisions, but he, he, he's hungry, thirsty. And here's what he does. He makes a really bad decision. And what's sad to me is that he gets a reputation from this. Did you notice there in verse number uh, uh, 30, it says, therefore was his name called Edom. Edom means red. So he was red when he was born, but that's not even why they called him red. You ever see, you know, like in the, growing up in the South, if you had red hair, like everybody called you red. Like my dad was very, we, we were very uh, smart in the South, came up with these wonderful nicknames. If you were called, if you had red hair, you were called red. My dad has, has red hair, orange beard, dark auburn hair, and they've called him red many a time in his life, you know. And, and so that's, but, but they didn't even call him, they called him that, yes, he was red, but also because of the red pottage here. So part of the nickname was a mockery on Esau, a reproach unto him for the really terrible decision that he makes here. 
That's a shame. And you'll see Edom being a problem for Israel throughout, throughout Scripture here. But uh, uh, th that's a sad thing to me. Verse 31, though, it says this. And Jacob said, sell me this day thy birthright. Now, nobody here probably is giving their son a birthright when you die. That's probably not in your will to have. Now, the birthright goes to the firstborn. But you do leave them an inheritance. But what is a birthright? Why was it so important in Scripture? Well, here's what happens. When, when the patriarch, when the father figure dies in, in Israel, what would happen is the oldest son, the eldest son, would take over authority and responsibility. Now he is acting as the father. He is the spiritual leader. He is the priest of the home. This was before the Aaronic priesthood because Aaron wasn't born yet. So he was the priest in that home. He, he did the sacrifice. He talked to God for the family. He was the priest, but he was also the leader in every other sense as well. He, uh, he, he had the authority of the dad now that the dad was off the scene. Oh, and by the way, when you were the, uh, the eldest and you got the birthright, you know what you also got? You also got a double portion of the inheritance. You get a double portion of the inheritance. So not only are you the spiritual leader, you've got the authority of the father figure now. You're in charge. You, you're, you're running the show. You get a double portion because of your responsibility. So really this is a bad economical decision, fiscal decision, however you want to say it, spiritual decision. And especially when you look at what he says in verse number 32. This question that, Jake, that Esau asks seems so absurd when you know what a birthright is. And Esau said, behold, I'm at the point to die. Do you believe that? No. I don't believe that. I don't believe after one trip into the woods, you're going to die of hunger and thirst. I don't think so. And he says, I'm at the point to die. So he's using hyperbole. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? Wow, if he really would have understood, and I think he did know, but if he really would have valued that birthright for what it was actually worth, he would realize that that birthright was a great profit to him, of great profit to him, uh, double the inheritance and all of that. But he had a selfish attitude. He was thinking of, of, of uh, he had a fleshly attitude, thinking only of the temporal. And I believe his attitude uh, was wrong because he was disregarding spiritual things as well. He was disregarding his spiritual inheritance and his spiritual responsibility. Verse 34, it says at the end there, thus Esau despised his birthright. What's it mean to despise? I despise sour cream. I despise it. Um, I love Mexican food. I think everything they do is wonderful. But for some reason, sour cream was just, the, was just the hit and miss one. You know, just like they missed on that one, okay? But I, I, hate, I, I would say I despise sour cream. Now, I know some of you are giving me looks out there. Pastor, how could you possibly hate sour cream? No, I, I don't hate it. I despise it, okay? Get that right first, okay? So there will be no sour cream at Thanksgiving, all right, in heaven, just so you know. But, but uh, you eat it if you want to. I despise it. What we mean by that is similar, but the word despise here means to look on with contempt because of little value. So Esau, get what I'm saying here, Esau is looking on this birthright with contempt because he thinks it's of little value. 
He's disesteeming it. He is devaluing it. He is he's undervaluing it, however you want to say it. But, but, and you can see that because his actions show what he valued. His actions showed it. He placed no value on spiritual things. The birthright was worth more than a bowl of soup. Even if the soup was the Panera bread, cheddar, broccoli, cheddar, that's, the, that's a good soup. But the birthright was worth more than that. And so we're going to talk about this for a few minutes, but let's pray first. Father, I pray you'd help us today, that we would get the picture of what we need to get from the message this morning. Speak with us and change our hearts and minds about some things today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I read a story about, uh, in, in, that happened in 1799. 1799, only a few of our members were uh, alive back then. In 1799, I won't name you, uh, but uh, Conrad Reed, there was a man named Conrad Reed who f- found this big 17-pound rock in a stream while he was fishing in North Carolina. You may have heard this before. And so he, took, he thought the rock was pretty, and so he took the rock home, and he used it as a door jam, uh, <clears throat> or as a doorstop, whatever you want to call it, for three years. He brought this, this beautiful-looking rock home, and he placed it in his house to keep the door open, basically, for, for three years. He just, that's how he used it. And so three years later, in 1802, his father, John Reed, took it and, and said, you know what, that's interesting, I want to just get it checked out. He took it to a jeweler. And the, the, whereas Conrad and John, when they looked at it, they couldn't tell what it was or what it was worth. When the jeweler looked at it, he identified it as a 17-pound lump of gold. Solid, solid gold. Back in that day, it fetched $3,600, and that was in 1802. How many millions would that fetch them today? And he's using it as a doorstop. Say, what's the thought there? I mean, and by the way, that was one of the biggest gold nuggets ever found east of the Rocky Mountains. They looked at it and saw a worthless rock. The jeweler looked at it and saw something very valuable. And what I find in life oftentimes is that I can be guilty of looking at something that God says is valuable and acting like it's something that is undervaluing it. I can do that sometimes. I think we're all guilty, and we need to be very careful in our lives how we look at things and how we value things in our lives. I think it's very easy not only to value something appropriately, but it's easy to devalue something, to to take something that has value, but take the value out of it. How many marriages have had the value taken out of it by people transgressing a covenant? How many uh, uh, relationships have we taken the value out by, uh, by, by speaking to people as if they don't matter? We can devalue things. Absolutely we can. We can uh, undervalue things. Absolutely we can. But I want to ask you this morning, what is it that we have a tendency to despise or to look on with contempt because we don't think it's valuable? That's what we're talking about this morning. And I think some of the things we do this with just quickly today, we can often devalue God's blessings, material blessings, God's material blessings. We can devalue them. You know, we'll complain about our car. Well, you know, it's a, you know, 2003 or whatever. We'll complain about it, but at least you got one or two or three in some cases. We'll complain about, you know, our iWatch not work or, or Apple Watch not working. 
like I was this week, and notice I'm not wearing it because I'm complaining about it, but, but hey, it, it's ridiculous sometimes. When we see Esau complaining about the birthright, he's, you know, and saying, ah, it's not worth anything, we're like, what's wrong with you, Esau? And I wonder how God looks at us who have running water and have a house with heat and air and, and all of these different things that he's given to us, a church, a Bible in our language, and all these type of things that we have, and we complain, we murmur. And the littlest thing sets us off. We devalue God's material blessing. Hey, we devalue God's spiritual blessings too. The spiritual blessing of prayer. How often do we devalue that? You know how we devalue it? By not doing it. We have access to the throne of God. And yet so many times we show no value in that prayer because we let it go without ever praying. We, we devalue a book that was passed down, that was written by God and, 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 and bled for and died for, by martyrs to give to us. And yet there's thousands of people in their language, they have no written word of God. And we devalue it. We stack it under the other uh, set of books and we never read it, we never look at it till Sunday comes around. Pastor, I didn't come here to get preached at. Well, why did you come then, all right? Because well, it's preaching time is at church. We devalue church sometimes. I'll go if I get a chance. Maybe next month. We devalue what so many people in our world would long to have, Christian fellowship. We devalue people, relationships. We can devalue our spouse, our kids, friends, other Christians. See, our actions show what we value. Our actions show what we think is important. Now, the holidays are coming up, obviously. We have Thanksgiving this week, and we've got Christmas coming up. And I wonder, during this time of year, what are you going to value? What are you going to value? Teenagers, it's, it's the presents. Give me the presents. You know, give me uh, uh, gifts all the time. I've, I've not heard a teenager yet. It's like, you know what, I just, I just can't wait to get around family this Thanksgiving. You know, usually it's like, food, presents, or whatever. But what are we going to place a value on? What are we going to think is important? What are we going to say, you know what, if everything else was gone, but I had this, I'd still be okay. And I want to just talk just about value for a minute here. But I want to say this, Esau, Esau despised his birthright because he did not value it properly. He did not value it properly. Now, why? Well, I think he was fleshly. I think he was thinking about only his stomach. I think he was, uh, I don't think he gave any regard to spiritual things. I don't think he cared that it would mean he'd have to step up and be a spiritual leader for the family. I think that would have been a, a, something that turned him off from that. But, but all of these things to say, look, oftentimes we can do the same thing. We devalue things when we think that we deserve them. We devalue things when we think that uh, we deserve better than that. We devalue things when we're only thinking about ourselves. But what is all of this wrapped in? And here's what I want to get to today and just give you a couple of thoughts this morning. All of this is wrapped in a certain attitude. When you begin to devalue things in life that are important, whether it be a relationship, whether it be a material blessing, whether it be a spiritual blessing, or whatever it may be, the underlying attitude of not placing proper worth or value on something, the underlying value is ingratitude. The underlying attitude, I should say, is ingratitude. Now you're like, okay, now I see where we're getting to Thanksgiving. All right. It's ingratitude. When, when you begin to look at something that is a gift, that is a blessing, and you begin to look at it with contempt because it doesn't, because you no longer think it has value, what has happened in your spirit is you have become ungrateful. 
for what you have been given. By the way, this is so easy to do. It is easy to do because we are very blessed. We're very blessed. And it is easy to forget all the blessings we have and just think about what the next one will be. Or why won't we have this? Did you know in the Bible that God commands you to be thankful? Think about that for a minute. Normally it's like, say it from the heart. But God says, no, say it. Be thankful. Colossians 3.15. It says, be thankful. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Pastor, I want to know God's will for my life. You know what God's will for your life is? That you be thankful. That you show gratitude. That you express it. That is God's literal will for you. That you be a thankful person. So I'm not preaching a message today on Thanksgiving just because there's a holiday that we named that four days, five days from now. I'm preaching on it, and this time of year is just a perfect opportunity, of course, because God commands you to be thankful. When you look at Romans chapter number one and, and, and uh, uh, 1 Timothy chapter, 2 Timothy chapter three, and it talks about the last days and the characteristics of people in the last days, you know what it says in there? It says that people are unthankful in the last days. Do you think that uh, we could look at our society and see people that are unthankful? I see people unthankful for our country all the time. It drives me nuts. Our country's not perfect. Good night. We need a lot of help. We need Jesus all over the place. But I tell you, why can't we be thankful for what we have? Why can't we be thankful for churches that are open on Sundays and not in lockdown anymore? Why can't we be thankful for the Bible that we have? Why can't we be thankful for, for what we've been given? And oftentimes, it's an attitude of ingratitude that is causing us to have a contempt for things that God has blessed us with. We'll give you a couple helps today really quickly here. How does Thanksgiving help this, this thing? How does Thanksgiving help us uh, uh, with what we're talking about, with valuing things properly? Well, e the first thing I'll say is this. Thanksgiving does affect our values. Thanksgiving, giving thanks... Now, I'm not talking about the holiday. I'm talking about in our daily life when we go to God and we thank him for things or when people do stuff for us and we, we, we thank them and, and when things are done for us by others and we don't know who to thank, but we can just go to God and say, God, whoever blessed me with this, thank you. Somebody uh, in our church has attended our church two times, I think, left for me pumpkin bread this last Wednesday night. I was thanking God for that pumpkin bread, all right? And you know what? I'm going to find them and I'm going to thank them too. But uh, we ought to express that thanks. That's, when we do that, thanksgiving affects what you value. Let me just help you with this. In the Bible, in the New Testament, we see the word honor. In, in, our, in, our, in our Bible, it's spelled H-O, uh, I shouldn't spell things publicly, I'm going to get in trouble. H-O-N-O-U-R, but we spell it H-O-N-O-R. Uh, but uh, honor in the Bible. Okay, we see that word everywhere, honor. You know what it means? The word honor means to fix a value upon. It means to prize something. So when the Bible says, children, honor thy mother and father, it means to prize them. It means to fix a value upon them and treat them in that way. Because you know you treat people differently who you value. And so the Bible says for children to honor their parents. The Bible tells us to honor widows. 
show, to prize them, to take care of them. The Bible tells us to honor elders, uh, uh, leaders in the church. The Bible tells us to honor all men, honor the king or those in, uh, in, in leadership. And then, of course, in, in Revelation chapter 4, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. What price would you put on God? What value would you put on Jesus? And so there ought to be an honor there. When, our, uh, when we were buying our house, just right around the corner over here, before we bought it, they had to do an evaluation. They had to evaluate what the foundation was like. They had to evaluate what the roof was like. They had to evaluate the, the, uh, uh, how many millions of cockroaches were inside and, and uh, you know, were they comfortable? Was the air enough for them? The heat working or whatever, you know, I'm just kidding. But, but uh, they had to evaluate our living conditions and, before we moved in there. And, and, and then they were, what they did with that evaluation was to determine what it was worth. What do we sell this for? What is this house worth? Can I ask you, what, how, how do you evaluate your relationships? What is that friend worth to you? What is your spouse worth to you? In today's economy, spouses aren't worth very much. I mean, we're just, uh, Christians are divorcing one another at a rate faster than unsafe people. Because we're not valuing the commitment, we're not valuing what God says to value. We're not valuing one another. We devalue church. We devalue relationships. We need to make sure that we're putting a proper value on things. When you aren't thankful for something, you are saying that it is not worth very much to you. I'm going to say that again. When you aren't thankful for something, you are saying that it's not worth very much to you. Because you didn't even take the time to be thankful. You cannot truly be thankful for something unless you change your mind about its value. And that's why Thanksgiving changes or affects what we value. When you begin to thank God for things, the value of it goes up. And again, in, in everything give thanks, the Bible says. In that passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, when Paul is speaking there, he says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. The next verse says, quench not the spirit. The next verse says, despise not prophesying, preaching. So he has in one verse, be thankful. Then he has two verses later, don't despise this. What, what am I saying? It just as we saw despising here goes right along with not valuing something. He's saying, hey, it, 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 be thankful, give thanks, and don't take preaching for granted. Don't, don't take things for granted. It goes hand in hand, being thankful and not taking things for granted. Now, that verse that I read has no qualifications. It says, in everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. There is always a reason to give God thanks. There's always a reason. Well, Pastor, you don't know my situation, but I know God, and I know the Bible, and he says, in everything, give thanks. So there must be, there must be something to give thanks about. And even if it's just, well, if I die, I go to heaven. That's still something to give thanks about. That even includes trials. How do we value trials? I'll tell you this. If you don't value trials the right way, you won't learn anything. and You might have to go through it again. Look at the trial and value. You're, when you give thanks to God, I think about Job in, in the midst of a trial, thanking God and saying, you know, you know, naked was I when I came into the world, naked when I go out, everything that God gave me, you know, he can take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And, and, and say, hey, bless God for all that he's given me. Thanksgiving affects your values. Can I say this? Secondly, Thanksgiving affects your vision. 
Thanksgiving affects your vision, how you see things, your perception. Thanksgiving forces us to reevaluate and put different, uh, put different levels of value on different things. It, it makes us look at things. How, how you view things determines how you value them. Esau looked at his birthright and said, what good does this do me today? I don't need this. How he perceived it determined how he valued it. How we look at things determines how we value them. We can both look at the same thing and come up with different values. I have a, a drawer in my office, I think, and, and like a, a box in my home of little papers. And they're papers that my kids have drawn on and given to me. Horrifying pictures of, of me, you know, that my kids draw. Dad, I drew you. Oh, you know, thank you. It's precious. Put that in the, in the trash. No, but uh, I put it in a, in a drawer. And, and my daughter Zoe is, is so good about this. She makes, she makes little drawings for me all the time. And, and uh, she made me a bookmark. So I asked her, she said, Dad, what do you want me to draw you? And I said, hey, how about a bookmark? I'm always using just random pieces of paper as a bookmark. I don't dog your pages because I'm not an animal. Uh, but uh, I, I use uh, something to bookmark my pages and my books and everything. And, uh, and so she made me this little bookmark. It's just a piece of paper with some drawings on it. And I have so many of those little things. Now, you may look at that and see a piece of paper with a picture of a cat on it drawn, drawn by a 7-year-old or 8-year-old. Now she's 10. I see a masterpiece when I look at it. I look at it I'm like, ooh, that was a good one, Zoe. Man, that one's precious. i got to put that in my book. i got to put that one in the drawer. i gotta got to save that. And I've got them everywhere. Because we're putting two different values on it. Because it means more to me than it would to you. And you've got things like that as well. You know, it's interesting to me how wedding rings, wedding rings can be inexpensive and priceless at the same time. It could have not cost you much, but yet it's a priceless thing to you because it means something. And it means a lot to you. So really, how you view things, how you look at things, really determines uh, uh, your values, they say that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. How you view it matters. So how do you view people? How do you view that relationship with the family that you're going to go see in three days that you're dreading? And if you're not dreading it, maybe they're dreading you coming, all right? Maybe that's how it works. You're like, I'm looking forward to it. They're like, oh, he's coming, you know? Maybe that's how they're viewing it. But how, how do you... You just, oh, I gotta go, you know, gotta sit around the table with my siblings again, you know, they're all, they're all gonna be bragging about, at least you got them still. Mom and dad, they're always giving me a hard time about this or that, at least they're still alive. At least you can still talk to them. A lot of people here today have loved ones they wish they could still talk to. A lot of people today would kill to have a Thanksgiving meal with somebody they love. How about we be thankful? How about we, we let our, our eyes affect our heart a little bit and we look at the right things? How about we look at what God's given us in those relationships instead of all the things that bug us? Our, the way we view things affects us. That, it's so important in Scripture how you look at things. When Jesus looked at the multitude, he saw them as sheep not having a shepherd. When the disciples saw people coming up, they said, send them away, Jesus. Hold on, they, no, they need me, they need Christ. They saw things differently. Now, hopefully by the end, the disciples got the picture, right? But how they viewed, how they viewed Jesus' ministry mattered. They thought, he's coming to set up this earthly kingdom, and then he dies, and they quit. Why? Because they viewed something in the wrong way. 
How you view things matters. I can look at Zoe's creations and think they're masterpieces because I'm viewing them through the eyes of a father. And I wonder today how, how a Christian should view God's love letter. How should a Christian view the, the, the opportunity to pray to Almighty God? Uh, you know, that people in the Old Testament didn't even know that. The, the, the privilege that we have to have the Holy Spirit of God inside of us. What a privilege. Uh, the, the thankfulness for a church that tries to, tries to the best we can preach right from the Bible and preach the truth. You know, we ought to be thankful for things that God has given us, but how you look at them is what's determining how you value them. So what are you seeing? What are you seeing when you look at family this week? What are you seeing when you look at your Bible and that reminder that goes off on your phone to walk with God or to, to, to do this or do that? I want to encourage you. Thanksgiving, give thanks. And maybe it has to work backwards for you. Maybe instead of, you know, the vision being affected first, maybe you ought to start giving the thanks first and let God change your heart. And because when you start doing it, when you put action to what God has told you in the Bible to do, God changes your feelings. We always think the feelings, when God makes me feel this way, then I'll obey. That is never how it works in Scripture. It is always you obey and then God changes your feelings. And so if you're going to give thanks, God is going to help you see that relationship right. When you give thanks, God is going to help you see the Bible right. When you give thanks, God will help you view prayer and church right. When you give thanks, God will help you view what you have in life better. So give thanks. It'll affect your values. It'll affect your vision. Lastly, Thanksgiving affects your voice. Thanksgiving affects your values. Thanksgiving affects your vision. But Thanksgiving affects your voice. Listen, you cannot give thanks without your voice. How do you give thanks? I mean, I suppose if you wanted to be technical, you could write it down. I suppose if you want to be technical, you could say, well, I can talk to God in my heart and mind. Yes, you can. But even in those two situations, you still have to form words. You still have to have thoughts that, are, that, are, uh, that, that, that form words. So it's still, it's still using language. Well, pastor, I just feel it in my heart. Feeling is gratitude. The feeling you have is gratitude. Giving thanks is something you give. I can feel grateful, but I haven't given thanks until I say something. Look, there's a difference between expression and emotion. I can feel the emotion. That's gratitude. But when I express it, it's thanksgiving. It affects our voice. You know, in the, in the book of Psalms, 23 times, David said, give thanks. Give thanks. How about, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Over and over. How about Psalm 107, where it says several times, and Brother Barnes, one of his favorite, favorite uh, verses there, he always quotes, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. Out loud, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You want to give God a Christmas gift this year? I know Christmas is right around the corner. It's too soon for some of you to think about Christmas. I get it. You want to give God a Christmas gift? Give him thanks. Because that's a gift that he likes and deserves. Thanks. I'll close with this. And we're early today. I don't know if whether to apologize or say you're welcome. We're a little early. Don't say thank you. Who said thank you? Come on. No, I'm just kidding. Be like, no, pastor, we wanted 30 more minutes. Now, I will tell you, part two of this message is tonight. I want to talk about what God values. 
Hey, don't laugh at that either. All right. That wasn't a joke. It is part two. I want to end with this, though. Just think about this for a second. Give me, give me three minutes. We're done. The sad thing about Esau in this scripture, he devalued. He, he did not value the birthright right. But you know what? Later on in life, later on in life, didn't his attitude change about it? Man, it's a sad thing. He realized what he had lost, but it was too late. The birthright had been given away. The blessing had been given away. And when he finally saw the true value of what he had, but he lost it, it's too late. How many times that happened to people? We didn't value something till we lost it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16 and 17 talks about Esau. And it says this, lest there be any fornicator or profane person or godless person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat, look at the value that God placed on that bowl of soup. One morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Can I encourage you, don't wait to properly value something until it's gone. See the value and worth in things now. How do you do that? Start giving God thanks for what you have. And let God help you see it in a different light. Whether it be a trial, whether it be a person that's a trial, whether it be whatever. We see, and I'll just say this again, and this is my last minute and a half of my three minutes I told you. Are, are, are you guilty of undervaluing things in life? Unless you think, well, pastor, you know, I'm not undervaluing. And, and some, sometimes we undervalue important things and sometimes we overvalue unimportant things. We put a lot of value on things that God does not put value on. But sometimes we do that. But just in case you may be thinking today that, well, Pastor, we don't, we don't often undervalue things. Can I remind you that the precious Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver? You want to talk about undervaluing something. How do you undervalue that doesn't seem like a fair price to me. How do you undervalue the precious blood of Jesus Christ? He dies and sheds his blood for us. We get it absolutely free. The least we could do is be thankful for it. The least we could do. So I want to challenge you today, wherever you are this next week, whoever you're with, it may be you're alone. It may be you're just with your spouse or with someone else, your family, and there's not a lot of pomp and circumstance. You may be going to a family reunion with 100 people. Whatever, wherever you are this week, I want to encourage you. Look around what God has given you in life and spend these days being thankful. And allow God to affect your values. Allow the thanksgiving to affect your vision, how you see things. And allow it to affect your voice. Let it come out. And thanks to God and others. Father, thank you for today. Help us, please, to be thankful people. Help us, to be, help us Lord, not to get so busy with, with life that we take for granted what you